You say hi? Yeah, okay. Today on the podcast, we have Jenny Fisher. Jenny Fisher is a storyteller. We wanted to, I brought, wanted to bring her on to talk about athlete storytelling. Uh, she's worked for the NCAA, the Big East, worked at Marquette. And the whole podcast is about athlete storytelling, things that people that do a great job, things that we can improve, and ways that athletes can continue to build the brand through this, this social media thing that we have, this tool that we constantly have at our fingertips. We appreciate your time and thank you for listening. You say bye. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening. Boom. Jenny, thank you for joining us here. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, you were saying we were just talking about where we are. We're in LA, you're in Wisconsin. Uh, and you're saying it's nice there, but you are wearing a long sleeve. It can't be that nice right now. And I'm hearing fire trucks go off. So I apologize oh. for that. But it is. Oh. It, I'm in the shade. So it's a little bit cooler. But I'm looking at a pond with some ducks. I'm kind of out in like farm country ish. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been a nice change up. Nice. Yeah. There you go. You're so talking about Wi Fi going out. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> Nowhereville, Wisconsin, the Wi Fi. <laughs> Pretty good Wi Fi so far. No okay. complaints. So there you go. <laughs> well, so I, Tim and I were just talking before this. He goes, Where, where did you come across or how did you guys connect? And I, I think it was when you announced you were leaving NCAA. Or you, I think, I don't know if you, announced you were leaving or if you got fired or how that even worked or if they were just furloughing people. But I went in and looked at some athlete storytelling for things you've done in the past when I saw that. So somebody I follow had tweeted about that or like, I, I think it was a, it was more of like, you're going to do great. Don't worry about it. You're super talented kind of thing that somebody yeah. I know. And I was like, well, who's great. Who's super talented. Let's click. And then went on and, and loved what you had done with athletes in NCAA, athletes, coaches, that, that sort of deal. Yeah, so when I was at the NCAA, di digital and social, um, and yeah, back in May, so basically my contract was up um, and no opportunity to rehire. And so um, obviously they have to, to work out a lot um, financially and a lot to figure out. So I wish them the best of luck with all that. But basically um, I got to work in, the beauty of digital and social is like, you can tell stories in so many different ways. And so with women's basketball, which I was on most mainly also soccer, but I'm just such a hoops head that that's kind of where my passion lied was like, and this is what it all boils down to, right? Um, organizations, teams, whatever, the best storytelling is when you get down to the people. And that's something I truly believe in. Um, and honestly, that's just basically what I got to do there um, and what I'll get to do in my next step, which I can't talk about yet, but hopefully soon. Yeah. <laughs> super secret next step i have yeah. i have my my uh thoughts i think i got an idea but I'm, we won't talk about it on here uh yeah yeah, yeah. anyway but i i do think storytelling is is still uh underrated and still lacking by a lot of teams athletes uh conferences even that sort of thing i think there's so much more that could be done there's some great stories and but they're just few and far between i think I, actual pieces created yeah i absolutely agree and i think the biggest point that comes to me is like storytelling is not new, just how we share it and how we do it and the quality is changing. So like, right. and like I said, I think what it boils down to is everyone's trying to get to the person, to the student athlete, to the athlete, whoever. Um, and so that person-based storytelling, whether that's personality basis, what people are like on and off the court is what people are really craving, either consumers or the people that, you know, want to get their stories out themselves. Um, I think we're lacking in the way that like, teams and conferences not traditional media but like the leagues themselves 
are kind of struggling because you have to check off so many boxes. What is the story about the league that you're trying to tell? The scores, the games, you have so many, that kind of story, which is still storytelling. If you think about it, you can make it creative. People have found out ways to make it, you know, engaging. But I think that kind of almost forces in, in college athletics, SIDs being forced to do storytelling on top of upkeeping record books, the website, writing articles, doing whatever else. It's like, okay, it's become like, oh, it's an extra thing for what's already happening where I feel like, and I would love to see this happen. Um, you either have athletes have their own people helping them do the storytelling telling themselves, which I believe is already happening, but still it, it could be more so. And also just the fact that you can hire on people with the title of storyteller. And no one really wants to do that besides maybe ESPN. People have storytelling in their title. Um, I think it's going to go down the path of, no, it's not an SID's job. It's not a PR person's job. It's not this person's job. Even a videographer, like, yes, that can be a, a portion of it. That's a form of storytelling in one way or another. But I think it would be, and I'm not just saying this because I self-identify as a storyteller. I think it is the best way to get the best storytelling, the best quality um, stories that are clear, concise, creative in a way where they don't also have to check the boxes of doing all these other things on top of it. Yeah. That makes sense. Preaching I, to the choir here. Yeah, I know. We, we've, we've been hired to do some storytelling for some, some professional teams too. And um, I, one thing I saw this morning, Pat, I don't know if you saw this, uh, is the Phoenix Suns is doing, are doing a um, documentary on the bubble process, basically. Did you guys see that? No, but like, I think every team should be doing it. I, I mean, it just makes sense. And you have access, you have the, the funds. Um, and I don't know how they write it into the contracts as far as like what they have access to, but I'm sure they're paying these athletes enough money where they could add that into their contracts. Well, yeah, I don't know if you can do that specifically, but from a, from a pro standpoint, yeah, there's, there's definitely ways to be able to showcase it anyway. You don't have to get total access. You don't have to be in their hotel rooms, that sort of thing from a, for the documentary or whatever they're doing. So I'm sure they can get enough access and teams can do this. And, and obviously pro teams have tons of money, but even, you know, as we're talking to more and more college teams about working on their personal athlete marketing and branding is you go on to the, just to look at the staff directory and the big schools have massive media teams. So they've got the storytellers, they've got the different aspects of it. Some, some don't, and some are starting to develop that. And the ones that haven't will have to over the next couple of years. But, but still there's, there's the, the storytelling pieces seem to all generally be the same types of thing. They put out a couple, a couple pieces and that's it. Instead of the, the everyday storytelling, the consistent, the really getting out what's going on, the, the documentary style stuff we'd love to see more of. To really get a feel, I mean, that's that's how you connect with somebody. You you get a vibe of their personality. You see their hard work, and and that's for us as as just consumers of of content is that's what we love to see, and we know other people love to see that too. Yeah, absolutely would agree. And I think something that we're seeing is like like you said, like the sustained. Ever which was like a video of like the NCA rules and regulations and stuff that has to do with eligibility. And basically I was like, why don't they just show a video on here's some tips for good storytelling for your own brand, things like this, like an easy thing for athletes to be able to know what's possible. Because I think another issue is a lot of people don't know what's possible in terms of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be an interesting layer of, of like, how, how do you guys navigate that? Where like the NCAA 
obviously has access to a lot of things, but are you able to dive deep into like individual stories or do you have to go through like the conferences or the individual schools to get access? How does that work? I would say it's especially getting tougher. And I mean, you start looking at rights usage and what highlights yeah. you're even allowed to use for B-roll in storytelling. Um, that's getting a lot tougher. People are cracking down. And so, and I think at the NCAA level in particular, it's like you are like four levels removed from the student athlete story themselves. You've got, you are the NCAA, then you've got conferences, then you've got schools, and then you've got to go through the team. And then you have to finally there's a lot of, of what I have to do. And like I said I think it's just locking down further as far as like video and rights usage um, and just what people you know pick and choose they also from the NCA standpoint you kind of have the clout that people do want to talk to you because I mean whoa you're the NCA um, and every Hmm. you guys are breaking up i don't know if that's that's just on my end but i lost you there for a hot second there though you're about we were just joking about the wi-fi this is all our fault we jinxed <laughs> Had a clean Wi-Fi connect, and now, yeah, now we're in and out. Um, but you guys are back. Am I back? Yeah, you're back now. Cool, cool. I don't even know what you said there, Jenny. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I, I have no comment on anything you just said because I didn't hear it at all. Uh, it's okay, you can just agree with it. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was perfect. Exactly what you said. Loved it. Hundred percent makes sense. Uh, but I, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously, we, you know, we're we're talking storytelling, and you started talking about the different layers of storytelling through, you know, NCAA conference team or school team, and, I, and obviously that that can be a hassle, and I'm sure it's tough to do sometimes. Uh, but now more teams are starting to, to move that up the ladder and have these pieces that make you want to come do the pieces. I assume from an NCAA or conference standpoint to, to find these stories too. Yeah. Well, and even like just individually as a person and personally, um, like I was like, what do I want to do after I leave the NCAA? Like, what, what am I going to do? What kind of jobs do I want to look for? And something that I really craved, um, which is not what I will be doing. Full disclosure. Oh, I thought we were about to get something. I'm sorry. I was <laughs> Slip like, up, <laughs> drop it. Yeah. Mic drop in the middle of this. No, but yeah. I was like, I would love to work for a college basketball staff and be on staff. And I was exploring some positions where I would get to travel with the team. I would be, you know, their daily go-to person for running their social, creating stories, kind of doing all of it. And that's something where it's like, I love that because also like being someone who is a journalism major, which I'm forever grateful for in terms of learning the ins storytelling for four years. Like I just feel fortunate for that. But, um, I was like, that's like basically being embedded. Like you're embedded into a team. You get to tell the stories that you know that they want to tell. Something that I'm really big on is doing justice by the person who made the story what it was. So like working with those athletes, being able to be one-on-one -on -one and say, hey, like I'm going to show you the edit before it goes live. Tell me personally from you what you would change. What do you think I'm missing? Things like that where like I just, I'm really big on doing justice by the person. So I don't even know if that answered your question, but um, I yeah, just yeah. think that's, that's an important part of the storytelling that, again, makes it harder from that level, but I think is super important to include. 
Yeah. One thing we're seeing is a lot of athletes pro this is pro now some colleges are starting to, to drop their own YouTube channels and stuff like that. But even, even sometimes with pros, I think tying into what you said is, is sometimes the videographers just go way over the top on it. And the story becomes, or the video becomes about the video and not about the story in the video. And I think I see, too many videographers just want to be the story of that video instead of letting whatever the actual story of the athlete is, the journey, the the hard work, the, whatever the thing is, letting them actually showcase that instead of trying to make this super crazy fancy video. Yes. Well, the edit should never be the story yeah, yeah. point of view, which is what you were saying. Um, but also, like, I would rather have a really good storyteller, really good editor, videographer, because you're going to get, you know, if you can get good storytelling across, um, I think that's all that matters. Like, I'll give an example. The Tiana Mangakahia piece is like something that gets mentioned a lot when I talk about athlete storytelling because it, it just won an SVG award and I was the one that produced and edited it. I interviewed her like a, a big chunk of it, not to say that other people weren't involved, definitely a team effort. But in that, um, we had the conversation at the beginning after we collected all, you know, the content that we needed, do we hire a professional editor to do this piece? Um, mm -hmm. and, and is it the best? That's again, personally, because I think sometimes it can take away from what the student athlete is, is trying to tell. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't know if we lost Pat, actually. I think he might have bounced out for a second. But um, there's there, and I don't know if you guys, if you've seen this or you've dealt with this process, but we've done stuff in the past where they would prefer somebody else shoots it and then somebody else edits it, two different teams. So like this, there's a big disconnect in our eyes is like, if you're not there filming or you're not there writing the story, you don't have the script or whatever that story is. It's hard to know why they shot a certain angle or why they were shooting a certain thing to then just go throw up an edit. And you can see the disconnect. Is that how you, you feel as well? Absolutely. I mean, editing footage and editing someone else's footage are two completely different things. And like, if mm -hmm. you have to rate your yourself on a scale one to 10 between the two, I think the editing someone else's footage would for sure be you know the lesser of the two yeah and i just think that i don't know and if you have a content piece in mind at for the end product like those people need to be in sync from the get-go totally. those shooting and those editing because otherwise like you said there might be a disconnect and welcome back pat hey pat i stepped outside yeah you left yeah well here we go wi-fi issue again anyway and by the way, by the way, we, we not only pay for the best Wi-Fi, but we also pay for a booster to get into the other room. But that's that's a story for another day. But going going back to what you're saying. So, so our last our last comment, let me fill you in here. I, I heard uh, it. I heard it. I just okay. went on mute and so you didn't see me just running through the room. And if I had to I get, it. hey, Liv, can I do this? And get it. Okay. But so so talking about editing other people's footage and stuff. And sometimes same thing. So we we have done both where we edit other people's footage or we've shot and then sent the footage. And at the same time, it's, you know, I'm putting together this cause if I'm filming it, I'm putting together this vibe and this narrative. And then if you had a different idea for it, it, it doesn't match up. Or sometimes I'm sending all my clips and some of the clips were like really bad. And then I, you know, cut away yeah. fast. Yeah. So I don't yeah. like doing that anyway. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I definitely know where you're, and again, I, I'm sorry to keep badgering the NCAA angle, but that's a thing where like, you're not at every game, you're not at every, you know, campus able to shoot um, so much stuff. And so it creates for an even bigger disconnect at times. But then when you do come across the footage that you're like, this is the shot I was looking for. Like, this is like the Tiana piece I just mentioned, like Syracuse had a photo of her at a game with her hair growing back. And I was like, boom, like, even though it's a photo, like, that is what I need. And then animated to her signature with her actually writing it was up at the end. Um, but I was like, okay, like that makes for when things are rare, they're usually better. So that, that kind of made for a little better surprise. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So let's, so we got bubble. I know we wanted to talk bubble and wobble here, but an athlete story telling, of course, correlating with this, Timmy, what was, Timmy, I saw you tweeted earlier. Is the JaVale, uh, McGee. JaVale McGee. What, was yeah. that? what are those numbers? You have those numbers? So this had, is JaVale McGee. I think it was like 36,000 subs on YouTube, and now he's at like 400 almost. So he goes, he launches his, or not launches, but like becomes consistent and really starts putting out stuff. On July 12th, he goes from 37,000 subs to 469 subs. He's getting a million views per video. In three weeks. In, in three, less than three weeks. Yeah. And it, it's been crazy for us to see how just a few, there's only a handful of NBA guys doing it. And there's only a, I don't know if I've seen any actual vlogs of the wobble. I've seen, I know Lexi Brown does a vlog. I don't know if she's put out a new one since, since she's been out. Um, Bella Allery. Bella, Bella, yeah. Bella, that was the other one I was thinking of, but that, yeah. that's it. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, and that's where like, I don't know. Um, this is what I love about the W is there's so many stories to tell. And like, if you hand the players the keys, like they'll deliver great content. Um, like they are the yeah. most forward facing, again, I think of women's basketball players as like the whole package, especially in college basketball, because when you're even recruiting them or when you're telling stories about them, they are the whole package. They care about school. They care about graduating. They care about playing good basketball. They care about making friends. They care about having a family atmosphere. Like you tie that all into and sell that to a recruit. Like that's a story that you're telling to them. And then maybe the story that they want to tell is like, you know, like, Hey, we have fun off the court. Um, there are players that, Erica Gumake is like the prime example of this. Um, if you haven't heard of her, she's from Rice, was drafted into the WNBA draft. She's foregoing playing in the season because she's going to med school. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously her sisters are famous and they're incredible as well in their own right. Yeah. But it's just like, you have so many great stories. How do you tell them? How do you get the athletes to tell the best ones? And I think what is missing is like the consistency because it has consistent coverage at this point. Like the W has people like Ari Chambers. I know that you guys talked to her, like she's, incredible and she's consistently pumping out stuff and it gets people to like continue following and engaging it's like if you can get players to do the same and actually be consistent in what they're doing what they're i mean if bella allery is going to be putting out videos about you know what she's eating and like what her hotel like people are going to just like absolutely consume it yeah they'll eat yeah. it up and i, I want to know like nobody's come out and said here's my daily schedule either not even like a vlog but like here's what i'm doing we have no idea what an exact day looks like yet either Right. And it's like, if someone were to do that, I mean, again, I think that some of these players are maybe thinking that's not my job or I have so much else going on or they're stressed out about it. Or maybe, and this is another issue I see, some people don't view themselves as storytellers or like people who can actually like, I don't want to say profit off of because maybe they don't care about profiting, but care about just telling the stories of what's happening in their life. But it's like, yeah. I compare it to like public speaking. Even if you don't like public speaking, you're going to have to do it at some point or another. So you might as well get good at it and learn a little bit more about it. That's a, that's a great analogy. And then different than other pro athletes, when you're in the WNBA, you're not making 
a hundred million a year or LeBron's 40 million or, or hundred million in a career or LeBron's 40 million per year. You have to, I saw it was, um, um, yesterday it was on a, a piece. It was a, a pro women's soccer player Midge, and she was talking about, we have to be creative around what we do because we need to create other resources. We, can, right. we can't just retire. I don't know what they make in the NWSL, but I mean, I know it's not a million a year. So creating these other opportunities, because not only is it all right, your YouTube channel grows and yeah, you make some money off of that, but now you're creating other partnerships um, and people want to be a part of what you're doing. Uh, this, actually, I forgot about this one. Mo Billings has a, has a vlog or she just came out. She partnered with Highlight Her and someone else to come out with a vlog, but, but she's, she's had a vlog. Hasn't been consistent on it. I've talked to her about that, uh, you know, about maybe doing some stuff with her on that, but not many people are doing that. And, and I don't, I don't totally understand it. I've been, I actually was tweeting at Tasha Cloud yesterday and she, we're talking on DM. I'm like, let's, she tweeted out, uh, or actually no, not she, the, I think it was the WNBA T account or something like that. Okay. I tweeted out from her Instagram story and she was just, it was just a funny comment on a play. And I, and I said, why don't you, or something, and then she quote tweeted and said, why don't y'all mic me up for the games or something? I said, you should, you should be doing something like that. Let's, let's do a watch party. We were talking about that with Ari on the, when she came on is why not, why aren't there watch parties? Aren't there pregame postgame shows on their live accounts or YouTube channels, the vlogs, like this is all content. That's just people are eating up and the WNBA views have been unreal this past week. Uh, yeah. there's obviously eyeballs. There's obviously people hungry for content. Now who's going to take advantage of that is what we want to see. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, like, I, I don't know if they know the true potential and WNBA players are so accessible. Like, again, yeah. like if you ask, and we talked about this at the NCAA, we went on a three week road trip where we stopped at different schools and that's where we captured content and talked to players and interviewed them like over 200 of them that wouldn't fly in men's college basketball because there's, I, there's a little bit of ego involved. There's a little bit of just a lot of, I guess, prongs to it. I don't want to point to just one thing, but at the WNBA, like at that level, especially like who's to say that Tasha cloud couldn't even mic herself up and just, you know, have something recorded for herself oh, exactly. that she could use for herself later. It's not that it has to be on ESPN. It's not that it has to be, you can create your own brand and you can kind of build up in the way that you want to. So long as you're following the rules and regulations that, know are set out and whatever contract or whatever it may be that you have to check in with and make sure that you're in the clear but like I said it's like public speaking you may not like it um, but it can ultimately help you in the end and you're going to have to do it at some point especially if you want to make some more money like you mentioned which it's sitting right in front of them it's just a matter of how are you going to pick it up there are people that do want to help you and here's the potential that you have no doubt and that's that's what I meant I didn't mean for ESPN or CBS sports or yeah. Do it yourself. Put it on your own channel. Mm -hmm. Tasha has been, uh, she's been all over the place the last couple months um, talking about Black Lives Matter and uh, trans gay rights and all these. The converse deal. The converse the deal. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's great at speaking. It's not that she's not great at it. It's just like getting, getting the, the mindset shift to like, I am, I can become my own media company. I am this, I am this medium person. Uh, I have that control. I can put out my own messages when I want to put it out and not having to wait for someone to pay you to do it. I think it's, and, that, and that's a, a shift we, we we're trying to get a lot of pro athletes to see is like you, you can become this media. You are this media company, you know, instead of thinking I'll wait for ESPN to call me or CBS or whoever to start this thing, like just start it on your own. The, the eyeballs will come and dollars will come later. 
right like they'll pick you up later like i think of ariel powers like that yeah. happened yesterday or two days ago and she was like you know say my name uh, if you're going to say that i'm a good player or whatever and, and calling people out and it's like twitter is great to be able to be a megaphone for the things that you stand up for and believe in and what you think and just your values and all of it but it's like that is going to attract I, the better you use that to your advantage the more you create your own brands like you said eyeballs are going to come dollars are going to come it just kind of all comes together and i apologize again for the fire trucks there were You're ducks good. quacking before like you know, <laughs> i didn't hear the ducks but that i do hear the fire trucks and i hope everything's okay over there you know i mean i think so Shoot. it's not hot enough for like wildfires or anything i don't know <laughs> going on we're just gonna keep our fingers crossed but yeah so so context context on that was andre andre Igu, Igu, I iguodala. Andre, iguodala. andre iguodala who you know i followed since college not like i don't know the name uh he he tweeted out something to the effect of like 23 is nice or something and you know a lot she he got a lot of flack for not you know just looking up ariel powers or i'm sure they said it in the broadcast right after the play he was discussing or, or saw uh, and, and tons of people were commenting about it. It was a whole thing all over WNBA and NBA type uh, followings. But, but you're right. She, you know, she felt disrespected about it and said, Hey, say my name. Like, you know, my name. And then she, you know, she brought up some old stuff that he said too, about he didn't want his daughter to be a lesbian and you know, not good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I'd never heard him say that. I don't remember that, that coming out, Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, you're right. If you got something to say, you say it and people saw it. Yeah. I mean, it was, like I said, Twitter is a great way to, to get that kind of stuff out. And then it's going to attract eyes. People are going to ask about it, whatever. But I was like, I don't, I, I think what works also for WNBA players that is a very unique approach is being sassy or having a little bit of a chip on your shoulder and like using that edge in order to, to help tell the story because like, you know, the, the kitchen jokes, everything like that. It's like, you can just disrespect, well, not disrespect them. You can put them down by saying what the truth is. And it kind of gives you that air of like swagger a little bit, which does not work for like, that wouldn't work in the NBA. That wouldn't work in other places. No. And, like you are situated in a unique spot where you can use that to your advantage, as long as you don't cross a line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and, and there's, you know, I, so this is my first year being all in on the WNBA here. I've, I've put, since the games started a couple of days ago, I've not missed a game. I've, I've watched that. all of it. And I can't say I've done that in the past. But And, and really, I just wanted to see, like, hey, what, how is this going to be different than, than other sports? How is this whole no fans thing going to work for the WNBA and the NBA? And it's been great. And there's a, a been lots of hate, of course, like there always is in women's in sports. You know, we work with female athletes. You know, one of them is a UFC fighter and, and – you know, everything she does, no matter how good, how badass it is, there's going to be haters. Uh, same thing for dudes. It's just a different type of tone or, or vibe to it. You know, no matter how good, how great you are, there's going to be haters. Sometimes I think it is good to address those people and just be like, hey, I, I appreciate you. I'm sending you an air hug. Have a great day. To kind of check them. And sometimes it is, it, it isn't bad to kind of get after them for real and say, you know, whatever your comment is back to their, their BS comment. Yeah, but, I think... For sure a line, like you said, because if you yeah. just keep feeding into the haters, they're just going to absolutely feed into it as well. And it's going to become this. So you got to be like, you got to know the level of sass that you can compete with and kind <laughs> yeah. of go about things. But for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think there's still, I want to see more 
consistent content. That's the biggest thing I'm gonna see from athletes is consistent content. We're seeing great numbers uh, and, and seeing great interaction on those things too. It, mm-hmm. but, but like you said, you brought up to me, like what, I don't even know what goes on. I'm following, I follow, I don't know, a hundred WNBA players across Instagram and Twitter, at least 50. I don't know exactly what's going on in the day. And there's, there's room for breakout stars right now because of this outside yeah. of the sport type stuff like this. Totally. And I, I just read this morning that with the NBA coming back, what was it? It was a number of like, there's a hundred brands that are coming that want to sponsor the NBA and the NBA uh, broadcast and like 20% of them are new sponsors because they're, they're looking for outlets in sports and there's only a handful that are coming out right now. So there are brands that are being successful even during the pandemic that are looking to sponsor stuff like this. So if you get your face out there, they might want to sponsor you. Completely. And again, I think the consistency thing amongst all of this is so true because it's like, is it just because, and this goes into oversaturation of the media space as well. Like, are you just doing this because you're, it's COVID and you're bored or will you be able to do this and sustain it until even next year at this time? Um, and obviously it's hard to plan ahead for anything at the moment, but it's like, if you're going to buy into storytelling, like it has to be the whole story, not just, Oh, we'll do, first three pages and then maybe we'll skip to page seven and we'll tweet about what I'm eating today. And I mean, the reason I just told someone this the other day, the reason I got Twitter, and this is going to be my new like icebreaker question. And I'm going to ask you guys this as well, if you're willing to answer. The reason I got Twitter in the first place is because Justin Bieber was tweeting out what he ate like in a day. (laughs) And that's when Twitter first was coming around. And then I would look back and I'm like, I don't even like Justin Bieber. I just did it because like I wanted to see, but what, are, so what, what was he eating? I'm like, I don't know. And that's the thing. Like, I don't even remember at this point. Like, I was like 13. Yeah. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, yeah. let me see what Justin Bieber is eating. <laughs> but it's like, that's what people are craving right now. It's, yeah. it's like, yeah. what is, you know, Candace Parker eating? Like, what is she up yeah. to in the bubble? Like, she's got her daughter. She's teaching her moves. Like, what else is happening? What does her daughter do during the day? Like, who's watching her? Like, she just hang out by herself. Like, so many little things where it's like, if you provided me that content, my curiosity would peak. And I would say, I need to go look at it. Similar to 13-year-old Jenny um, getting Twitter because Justin Bieber was tweeting what he was eating. But why do you guys get Twitter in first place, if I can ask you? Yeah, I, well, I did in 08 or 09, and I was coaching football at the time. I was coaching at Ashland University, Division Two. I was a grad assistant, and I was trying to just, like, find my niche and my angle in recruiting, and no, nobody else was on Twitter. No, none of the coaches, I should say. And so I was out there talking to kids. Like, this was my way to try to talk to, communicate, and, and bring in kids, or even find kids. Maybe that was part of it. But, but yeah, because I was coaching, and I wanted to be ahead of the game with that. Yeah, I, I got on – early too. Usually what I do is any app that's getting momentum, I download it and I play around with it. And then if it's, if I like it, I kind of keep it. That's so like, I'll go in waves. Um, you know, but I use Twitter for everything. Even there's an earthquake here yesterday or like four in the morning. First thing I do is I pop on Twitter and I earthquake, you know what I mean? Earthquake LA or whatever it was. And saw it was like a 4.5. It wasn't like crazy, but that's where I got my instant news, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, me too. That's the first thing I do. Once I get on my phone at some point, Twitter and see what's going on, what's happened. What did I miss? What can I, you know, comment on? But 
you're, you're right though. It's some, the Justin Bieber eating is obviously an example that probably doesn't work as well now, but to just know what goes on is something people want to know. You, you want to know behind the scenes. You want to see that stuff you don't normally see. You want to see what's cool about the, the, this, this wobble and bubble thing is it's not just the Lakers and the Clippers and the, the Mavs and all these teams in their different places. I mean, I'm watching Brittany Sykes's Instagram story and she's with players of like three different teams and they're making dinner together. You know, you never, you'll never get this again. You've never had it before. It's, it's this rare opportunity to see what's going on with these competitors who are super competitive in a game. And then three hours later, they're all hanging out and BSing, which you don't get to see that normally. Yes. And I think we're in such like a, I don't want to call it an alternate reality, but I would argue that people care more about the off the court right now than what they could tell you about the score of whatever game, the Liberty uh, wing yesterday. I mean, yes, yeah. but it's like, I, it's, and again, I think it's been that way in women's basketball and that branding, um, the personal side of it has worked super well. Not that it hasn't in men's, but you just have a lot, a lot of layers. I feel like in women's basketball, um, that now it's like, oh, like I'm going to go for that content first before I go to whatever team page to see what the score was. Yeah, yeah. And I say I do, and I'm sure Tim's the same way. But I've, I've been that way for 15 years is where I, I care. I've never – I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I was a Cleveland Browns, Cavs, Indians fan. But once I got to college and, and kind of after that, I, I more just became a fan of teams where I liked the players, whether that was like – Allen Iverson or Rodman or, you know, th those are my, Randy Moss, those are my types of people. But I, I, I never was like, I love this team because of the city I was born in. I became a fan of the stories and the people and the branding of, you know, Dennis Rodman. I, I think we see this now more than ever is Dennis Rodman maybe wasn't that dude we all thought he was. Uh, there was, there was a lot of layers to him, but I liked what I thought he was. I liked that brand that he created this, this dude who, dyed his hair and, and dressed in drag and all these things that were way ahead of anything anyone was doing the tattoos with Iverson like nobody had tattoos like that back in the day Absolutely. so they, they created these brands and these vibes and that's why I like them and and of course that holds up today and will always hold up because you're going to be identifying with people either you want to be like or people you identify with because that's what you're going through or the same you know their their situations like yours and, and that sort of thing I mean, someone just asked me the other day, and this is like a prime example of this. They said, oh, you're from the Milwaukee area. Are you a Bucks fan? And I said, yeah. And he goes, so you're a Giannis fan. And I was like, absolutely. But it's like the team is identified by the people who make it up. And like yeah. I said, when it boils yeah. down to storytelling, you're trying to get to that athlete level at the end of the day. It's never, yes, if you are a team account, your job is to tell the story of the team. If you're the NCAA, your job is to tell the national story. But like, everyone is trying to get to that personal level. And so how are you going to do it? How are you going to make the storytelling clear, concise, creative? And because teams are people at the end of the day, all of it is about people, whether we're talking about relationships or jobs or careers or whatever it is, like it's just the bottom line. So I would for yeah. sure say that that's true. And, and different, like you said, it's, it's the storytelling is different. Like when we talk to these, these schools and these teams we want to work with, they tell great stories about their team, but working on branding for Pat Curran or Tim Curran or Jenny Fisher is totally different than, Absolutely. you know, so like teaching them how to learn to be a personal brand is different than them being told from people that are working on the team's brand. It's totally different in the vibe and, and, and where they want to direct it. You're, you're talking about 
you know, what goes on with the team and, and the season and different personalities on the team. And then when you're talking about a personal brand, you're talking about, you know, I play the guitar. I don't play the guitar, but, you know, I play the guitar or I'm a great cook or I'm a badass gamer. And, you know, like showing those, the depth, I think, when you're talking about a personal athlete versus a team can get so much deeper. Yes. And then I feel like once you get an individual story and combine it with another teammate's story and like, hey, I play guitar and he plays ukulele and sometimes we actually get together and we like jam out, whatever it is. It's like, like that just adds to the team. There's so many different ways, like you said, but there are different kinds of storytelling and it is way different when you're going from personal to, you know, a team aspect or, you know, when you're trying to tell it for a group of people that are working towards a common goal. Yeah. Who, who would you say are your favorite storytellers as athletes? See that, see, that's the, the tricky part because I could say my storytellers and they're people that I looked up to all growing up. Um, and again, I'm grateful that I went to Marquette because like there are so many, and I think it's really under the radar, which I also love because I think the underdog is always a better story, but there are so many people like Sophia Minner, um, she was Bucks and Brewers. Now she's strictly for the Brewers doing reporting for them. Jen Latta, who's at ESPN now. Um, and she did college game day pieces. She did a bunch of different stuff. Um, and so there were always like these women for me to look up to. I'm a huge fan of Doris Burke. Like she was who I wanted to be for the longest time. Mm. Not to say that I still wouldn't want to, but like I kind of know my own little path right now. Um, but it's like, I can point out all these different people that I think do really great storytelling about athletes. Mm -hmm. But when I think of athlete storytellers, like I think of, and I think this is starting to change people who have good social media, which is one way to tell a story. But like, I love it uninterrupted and what LeBron's done with all of that. I think the Players' Tribune and like what that's become as well. Um, but it's like, can you call that athlete storytelling? Um, like, I loved the Kevin Love piece and I think he still does a great job of it with mental health. But like when that broke, I was like, that is an athlete telling their own personal story and like showing a side of vulnerability at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he just won the award for it uh, at the ESPYs. And so it was like, that's the first one that comes to mind but again, the fact that like, I have to think back a couple years and be like, oh, uh -huh. I think that people have really good social media and they're starting to do a better job of it. But um, I want to see more of it so that I can pick a favorite within 30 seconds rather than rambling for two minutes about it. Yeah, I think yeah. that's our, our kind of gripe, if anything, on the Players' Tribune or Uninterrupted, how they have like great angles and the whole premise of it is great. It's just the consistency and volume isn't where we would yeah. like to see it. Well, and it, it isn't even about the players shipping or, or the uninterrupted. They do a piece on Jenny Fisher. Now Jenny has that piece and then what does she do with it? And then how do you continue to be consistent yeah. and go with it? Yeah, because they, they do incredible, both places do incredible pieces. Um, they, they have incredible platforms, but then the athletes do that thing and then they don't, not, most of them don't continue to do it from there. Right. Well, what I would even love to see is like, Let's find someone who wrote, because they repurpose articles, right? They curate stuff. Here's what so-and-so wrote a year ago today. What would that person change about what they wrote? Have yeah, them go yeah, in with yeah, a red yeah. pen, you know, sort of edit over the top of it. What would I change about what I said? Because first of all, stories change. Like mm -hmm. what I might be saying to you today in two years, I might be like, oh, that was stupid looking back because now look at the way that storytelling has gone. But it's yeah. like, that's one angle where like, you're still giving them, you know, the recall effect. You're like, hey, come back to me. What yeah. would you change about your story? Has anything changed as you reflect or as you're looking forward? And you can do so much with it, like you said. I, I love that idea. I've never heard that idea before, but I love that. Yeah, yeah I like that. That is something they should do. Yeah. Uh, and I was still, I'm trying to think of athlete storytellers the same. I asked you the question. And I thought, wait, do I even have a favorite athlete? 
I, I don't know that I do. I, I like the, there's some up and coming athletes that do some really cool stuff. I saw Michael Pittman Jr. who's now on the Colts start a YouTube channel and he was vlogging his process from the combine or pre-combine to the combine to the draft. And now since the draft, but all the behind the scenes stuff, I don't know if there was another single player. I've seen a couple now uh, NFL uh, gonna be rookies guy, gonna be rookie guys, LaVisca Chanel Jr. I think Jerry Judy has a channel and they're starting to do more of that, which I like the young guys coming in and, and doing some stuff like that. But there, there isn't a, a ton of big names, established players in any sport that are really doing stuff like this. Like think of how, how big I, Patrick Mahomes has a, has a YouTube channel. I don't even know if I've seen a video. I don't know if it's, it's, um, if you really get behind the scenes on it, I don't know either. but Juju Smith-Schuster kills it with his YouTube channel, million, million subscribers. Uh, and, and he's just like himself or what you, what you think is himself. And yeah. it's just him. Hey, I'm going to go buy people presents for Christmas. Hey, I'm, I've got this. This is me gaming. This is me working out. It's just like his life. He's showing it million subscribers, 50 million views. You know, yeah. the, the process for him is probably fairly simple. And this is like, and I'm going to bring up Sabrina because like I've met her, I've interviewed her, I've talked to her and like, she is who she is on the court, like on, on and off the court, there's no discrepancy. Like it's the same person. She is all cool. business. She cares about basketball, like to the core. And I'm like, you don't have to have like the biggest personality in the world in order to be something that people want to engage. Like she made a TikTok and it, everyone went and like followed her on TikTok. I think she's only posted a couple times since again, the consistency factor, but it's like, yeah. if Sabrina literally put a camera on herself and said, this is what I do in a day and put it on YouTube. Sabrina, we'll edit that it for you. It yeah, will, it will blow go. up. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've been trying to reach out to her for like six months. About I like, let's, say, she's someone I don't think would care to because she's so all business. I get that. But, if you point to the positives and no. why this would be incredible. Yeah. And not, and not just to like get some views and show your life, but there's a lot that comes from that. You can build more businesses. You can help people. You can show people, you can bring other people up along the way with you on, on stuff like this too. Uh, there's something I was going to say. About it's also a cool thing. Like, like, oh, go ahead. you know, people, people uh, I know like do like their daily vlogs cause they want like their grandkids to see the daily process of them working. Looking, so hard. Looking like, back. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like just, just put on the back burner. If you don't want to watch it, it'll just be there type of thing. Right. Yeah. We, um, I don't know how I want to say this, but we, we, we worked with an athlete fairly recently who wasn't great on camera and he was just very, um, just not comfortable on it. Pro athlete, uh, been in, been in a pro athlete for years. And so I would just kind of just like feed him lines or feed him instances and, and have him do his own thing um, at times and, and then just cut it and edit it to fit a narrative. You wouldn't have, if you know the guy, there's no way you'd say he's like the, the biggest personality in the world, but now he's, he's starting to get comfortable with it. He's creating his own vibe and, and videos. Now he's actually doing his own stuff now. And now he's in the last three weeks has gone from, 3,000 subs to like 30,000 subs and quarter million views. And yeah. it's, you know, he wasn't at, at the beginning when we started this thing, he wasn't at the top of the game personality wise or feeling comfortable. And now he's starting to catch this vibe over the last couple months of us starting to do this. And now he's really hitting his stride with it. Well, and it's like the practice factor is key, but also like the customization factor of you tell what you want, you do what you're comfortable with. 
you will get better at this and you can like I said you can tell whatever story you want to tell or you can do whatever you want to do with it you can't always do that when you go to a media outlet or you go to whatever yes. because you're going to have their own agenda and goals and things that they want to accomplish if like we had so many schools uh and people at the NCAA that would come to us and say hey I have this great story about this but it's like we have to check the boxes of does this fit our brand what else do we have going out today blah 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 yeah. if you are your own person you can customize everything about it even to when you release it you control your message. When you put out your content, you control your message, you control your narrative, you control what you want to control in this space. It's not, like you said, it's not somebody else putting it out. It's not some other agenda, which could be positive or, or maybe a spin that you don't love. You control it when you put it out. Absolutely. And like I said, as someone who cares about like doing the story justice by the person who made it what it was, that is like speaking to my soul. So completely agree. Yeah. All right, Jenny. Uh, we'll, we'll let you get packed and ready for tomorrow's trip to New York. Wherever, we can't, yeah, wherever, we, wherever we can't, going, whatever. Yeah, we can't wait to hear where you're going and some more great athlete storytelling we assume is coming quickly. Uh, we could talk about athlete storytelling all day and I'm sure we will back on Twitter. We appreciate your time. 